recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles in West Bend, Wisconsin. This is the Crimson Cowl Comic Club Podcast. Up, up, and away. I'm Anthony. I'm David. I'm Kurt's dad. And other David. <laughs> Welcome to issue eight of the Crimson Cow Comic Book Club podcast. Uh, a couple issues we're going to be talking about in spoilers will be Doomsday Clock number two, as well as Hawkman Found number one. We're going to kick it off with Doomsday Clock number two by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. In this second chapter, the Dark Knight discovers another relic from the Watchmen world. Lex Luthor pays a devil's bargain, and killer clowns trek through Gotham seeking a madman. So, uh, with issue one uh, last month, we got the introduction of like how these worlds are going to slowly start to connect. That all kind of started from the DC Rebirth number one and seeded through the button between Batman and the Flash. And uh, we kind of had a, a slow introduction with chapter one of just kind of getting mostly a Watchmen story and then almost a DC backup in a way, like a DC superhero backup story to kind of slowly uh, connect that. And as we see in here, we kind of get that same kind of format as far as, like, the book being structured, um, where it's kind of leaning heavy on the Watchmen stuff. And what I really like from the beginning here as we open up is seeing that uh, we have this bank robbery that's going on that happened, like, in the past. Well, we have some current scenes going on with those uh, two clowns. Uh, what are those names again, if we know them offhand? Uh, Marionette. Marionette and, and the, the Mime. mime. And the Mime. So, yeah, we see uh, them kind of getting all dolled up, and uh, we see them in a present time, or, well, their present time. Yeah, in the, what, the 19... past and their yeah. present, <laughs> which, I mean, their their present seems like maybe it's even running you know, concurrently with our present. Or, you know, their... It's their even, present. Even though their present is in, I forget what year it is now, like 90... Like ninety two, ninety three, yeah, somewhere in there. And we, uh, as we learned in the last chapter, we have uh, Ozzy Mandeus or Ozzy Mandius, or we'll just call him Ozzy, based on how you want to pronounce it. Ozman, um, uh, the Ozman. How he uh, basically is kind of setting up a team to go search for Doctor Manhattan, and he already has a new Rorschach, and then he acquired these two clowns, and now this is the kind of story of why these two clowns are important. And you don't really you, you don't really know much until you kind of get uh, into the story a little bit, but yeah, the the, the flashback um, that they have where they're where you're seeing these two um, pulling off a, a bank robbery yeah. um, in their past, you find towards the end of it that it's connected to why they're being used, um, and it's that and... that reason being that. Uh, uh, Doctor Manhattan is the superhero that shows up at that time to uh, to stop them. Um, it's almost kind of hinted at, like the reason that he is the one that is because it's like a, a bank that's a, an important bank that a lot of bigwigs uh, deal with. Because Doctor Manhattan, he was uh, he was basically a government stooge, you know, <laughs> an overpowered government stooge, and he'd take care of their business. So uh, having all these uh, fat cats and uh, and everything using this bank, you know, of course, they're going to send Dr. Manhattan to protect their money. 
And I absolutely like the the couple beats, uh, pun intended, when Dr. Manhattan shows up and he's kind of pointing at uh, at uh, Marionette there and you just see the ba-boom, ba-boom. And at first I'm just like, wait, what's going on? And then I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't get it at first. It took me a second to connect the dots. Now, we learn in uh, uh, Doomsday Clock number one that uh, Mime and Marionette had a kid. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what you realize after looking at this, and yeah, it sounds like it took us both. Uh, I, went, I don't I, know uh, how quickly you yeah, got it. Yeah, it took a while to catch uh, up with us. Oh, I was like, because they show uh, Dr. Manhattan. He's kind of pointing uh, at Marionette, who's gotten away, uh, you know, as he was uh, about to take out the mime, and she gets in the way, and, um, you know, she's like, you don't kill him without killing me. Dr. Manhattan pauses, and she's like, what, you know, what are you staring at? And then they have this ba-bum, and then the next panel, another ba-bum, as they're looking at her torso, mm-hmm. um... And then in the next picture is they're showing, um, they're showing a, a baby. picture of a, 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 a baby, a yeah, photograph the, of their of their present time that she's holding in their present time. Mm. So yeah, as those couple panels went, I had to flip back, and then I'm like, oh, he's sensing or hearing the heartbeat of, mm. you know, the the child in the womb, and I thought that was kind of a mm. interesting take on it, and that was to kind of show the importance of uh, apparently. Dr. Manhattan has this connection that, you know, Ozzy is going to be using these clowns to, as, like a... Bait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a good word. So, yeah, you get that kind of Predator 2 uh, thing where, you know, oh, she's pregnant, I can't kill her. Um, but, uh, yeah, then it's established that it's her, that they're using her specifically as the connection to Dr. Manhattan to try and draw him out. Yeah, and that leads to them uh, taking off in the the owl ship as they uh, head off, and and you you see a like a like a portal dimensional travel basically is like what there's the the nuke that's about to hit because of all the riots going on, and they're able to escape that if I understood that right. As as you see, like you know the the city below them starting to blow up, and they kind of the explosion seems to push them through the portal they're okay. trying to get through. Yeah, and uh, that bleeds right into the Rorschach drawings as we cut to uh, the DC superhero side of things as uh, Bruce Wayne is uh, is taking a, a classic Rorschach test. And, He's uh, getting his, uh, his company-mandated uh, psyche valve. And now, and I forget, I think they referenced something. Was this uh, because of an event that had happened, like back in the day of like a classic Batman story? Or was that something that... Uh, well, you started it, at the top seven of one years age. ago. Yeah, you failed a psychological exam seven years ago because you were being honest. Since then, the board has re- required an annual test for insurance. Now, mm-hmm. New 52 time, he hasn't been Batman for that long, really, right? That well, was when, about when he... When, uh, when they started with the New 52, and I'm not sure how this translated over once they did Rebirth, uh, and since there's still at the point of Rebirth, everybody's missing this 10 years, I'm... Under the assumption, I, I guess that um, that they're still going with that five-year period that they did with with uh, New Fifty Two, where superheroes, you know, had only been active for for five years. Bruce Wayne had been Batman for five years. Um, now, 
This, what we're referring to as the, you know, the DC universe is present, actually isn't the present, it's actually 12 months, you know, this is a year in the future, because the next year or so leads up to this. So, at this point when they're saying seven years ago, um, that would be something that happened six years ago, you know, present day. Um, so that could very well be right around the start of, you know, when everything happened, you know, New 52-wise, the start of Batman. Uh, because you, you figure, okay, now that it's been going on for a little while, it's comic book time, so I'm not sure how much time has passed. Right. You know, I would, I would say, you know, yeah, maybe it's been like six years now or whatever. Um, so I would think that that would put it right around uh, the time that Batman was starting as Batman. And that transitions uh, to a bat signal in the sky, or what we thought it was, as we see the the owl machine kind of burst through these uh, clouds here. And uh, what was interesting, I heard people, I don't know if it was just in reviews or on another podcast, but they had uh, thought that was interesting. When you see the owl ship crash into uh, onto the land here, um, it's kind of like in this abandoned um, amusement park, and some people made a connection if this was the killing joke. This is reference. apparently um, the same. Uh, now, I'd have to go back and look at the killing joke, but uh, apparently there's things in these panels that establish it as being the same uh, funhouse uh, amusement park area that, uh, um, that they used in the killing joke, which was another Alan Moore story. So the, the question is, is this an Alan Moore reference, you know, kind of a tip of the hat to another piece of Alan Moore work, or is there something more to it? And some people think, well, at this point, any kind of uh, reference to other Alan Moore work might not be seen as a compliment to him. I was going to say, he's probably not he, too happy about might it actually, when he hears about it. <laughs> so, um, so I think a lot of people are thinking there's probably something more to this location and that there's an importance to it, although... Nothing's been, uh, you know, nothing's been done other than showing with it where uh, the owl ship has landed or crash landed. Um, there's no, you don't get anything else for where they're at this location. So, but then um, we soon do as we flip a couple pages and we see that they're in Gotham City and uh, Ozzy is talking about uh, locating the, the smartest people and doing the research and that brought it down to Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor. And that leads into the Bruce Wayne part of things where uh, they kind of split up in teams and Rorschach is uh, sent to Bruce Wayne's mansion, basically. And uh, this makes sense. On a, I remember I pre-ordered the, I think it's for Doomsday 3, where one of the variant covers was a stack of uh, flapjacks, if you will, um, to use some shirtless bear fighter uh, uh, words. Uh, yeah, I think they're calling them pancakes in here. Yeah, yeah. Well, flapjacks, <laughs> just in case, because he gets pretty angry if you call them pancakes. Uh, but that kind of leads because Rorschach, hot cakes, I don't know. <laughs> Rorschach's had a history of kind of eating in you know in scenes and like in the original Watchmen and you know sitting down and eating people's beans and stuff even if they're just straight out of the can and so and it's been established that this new Rorschach has a thing for pancakes yep. yeah. so Bruce's pancakes are gone yeah, yeah. and <laughs> and there's some people I saw uh, critiquing the book just saying we're kind of glossing over the fact of the adorableness that. Uh, that Alfred leads leaves a plate of pancakes, you know, you know, for Batman to come home to after his adventures, and thought that was kind of a you know, 
Well, I, I like the Batman calls Rorschach on it when he meets. It's like the first thing he says. It's not like, who are you? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you ate my pancakes. You ate my pancakes. <laughs> and he's like, yes, I did. But That's... then you see, yeah, you see in that scene as he takes the foil off, and then you see it kind of what breeze by or just kind of like fall off the table and kind of leads him uh, to be a detective uh, in his own right to notice that there's like a trap door entrance you know something so, well, first some, of all he listens on the, the floor, floor so he knows that something's underneath the mansion so then he starts to check the bookcase and the clock and he finds the switch that yeah he, he finds his draft coming through there yeah, the draft. and is is able to uh discern that the clock is the entryway to something then you see him go down the steps which uh, ignites an alarm which uh, grabs batman's attention as when then we cut over to the Lex Luthor and uh, Ozzy Mandeus side of the story, um, which yeah, I got the variant cover for that. So the whole time I'm thinking, all right, Lex is probably gonna have something important and, going on. And here. now starting off with Lex, I think this is kind of important to establish. If you're not keeping up with the Superman stuff going on, um, up until just like the last time we've seen Lex Luthor in uh, in the Superman books. He's been on the side of good. He's wearing this armored suit, calling himself Superman. He's teamed up with Superman and things like that. And they have a little bit of a falling out, and he rips the S off of his armor chest and throws it down. And that's pretty much the last time you see Lex. But up until that point, he's really been struggling and trying to gain people's trust because Superman, you know, had a... This, being the uh, pre-New 52 Superman, who had always known Luther as being this villain, um, had a hard time trusting him, so they've been really kind of back and forth on that establishment of trust, and they have a falling out in the end. And this is a year later, and it's made clear, just in this first page here, that uh, uh, Luther is no longer on the side of angels here. Well, in fact, we skipped quickly over it, the whole world is somewhat now not particularly happy with superheroes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of walking around with their science. It looks very much uh, Watchmen-like like when they had you know all the science and protests. Down with Batman and all these things. because And they mentioned the Superman theory, which I'm not... The Superman theory, that was first mentioned. Um, I haven't checked it out. I don't know if anybody here has. Apparently there's uh, a website or something that's been established now by... DC to kind of go along with this, and I can't uh, can't recall the name of it. I haven't had a chance to check it out, but they've got some stuff on there that deals with the uh, the Superman theory, and talks about how the Superman theory that's not really gone into here, but the Superman theory is this theory that the reason that the United States has the biggest number of costumed uh, heroes and and I guess villains too, but um, is that the government is creating them. So it's kind of this uh, conspiracy theory type type deal that people are buying into that the government is creating all of these uh, superheroes. Which then makes sense when with the two examples during in the scene that we kind of skimmed over where the, the people are upset about superheroes. They talk about the Superman theory and then the two names they hold up as having started it all were Rex Mason, 
who, if I'm right, is metamorpho, yeah. came out of the um, the corporate sort of greed of um, of the of the company that created him, and Kirk Langstrom, who is Man Bat, who injected himself with a formula working for the government on biological issues and became Man Bat. So these two then that makes somewhat some sense that this corporate government sort of thing is what's causing <laughs> and, and while we're talking about these theories and everything right before Rorschach and, and uh, Ozzy split up they're, they go to the library and they're doing a little bit of research and um, turns out they have they come up with this theory um, that uh, Dr. Manhattan could be disguising himself as one of these superheroes. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that that's just a throwaway line. I think that's a hint. Dr. Manhattan very well could be a DC superhero, uh, which leads to the theories, the, uh, the most obvious one would be and would make sense because of the recent story line that they did with him, but Captain Adam. Because... Um, Dr. Manhattan, of course, when uh, Watchmen was first done, he basically was Captain Adam. Uh, very similar. Well, the powers were a little bit different, but New 52 changed Captain Adam's powers, and they're a lot more in line with Dr. Manhattan's. They even went to more of the glowing blue skin. And as they're talking about... Um, you know, it, it's they said it, it's possible. Yes, John may have wanted to start over with a new identity, a second chance, and that's kind of what they do with Captain Adam in uh, the Rise and Fall of Captain Adam, which was a miniseries that came out within the last year, um, where he does a little traveling through time. He gets a new start. He comes back with a new look, um, pretending to be a new Captain Adam, and, and things like that. So, uh, and, you know, it's quite possible that uh, that the Captain Adam that we currently have could actually be Dr. Manhattan. That's not to say he is. He could be any any number of, of costume characters out there. But, um, but I think uh, a lot of people are sort of favoring that theory after, after reading this. Yeah. I think the important element in this comic is that we're in a world that's in some ways starting to parallel what went on in the Watchmen world. There's distrust of superheroes to a certain extent. There's um, growing tension within the world. All these things are exactly the same patterning that happens in Watchmen, which I think is part of drawing these two worlds together now, is this. And, and one difference being, is, uh, as Amandias points out, this is a world similar, but with filled, uh, with, uh, but it's filled <laughs> with people on par with Doctor Manhattan. They have these incredible powers and and you know they're these godlike abilities. Um, so this is kind of like the Watchmen world if there were more Doctor Manhattans <laughs> running around. So in the original Watchmen, is Doctor Manhattan the only actual superhuman? In the book, or were there 
he's supposed to be. I mean, there could be some arguments made for some other stuff. I mean, Ozzy would be the only other figure within the Watchmen in the initial story that has. He's supposed to have a super intellect, so... Yeah, I mean, it could be, like, a natural one, but he's like, he's the smartest man in the world. Uh, he's trained his, you know, his body to, like, perfection and, and everything. So, it, unrealistic for uh, real-life terms, but comic book-wise, you know, it could be a normal person who just is very smart and athletic and, and things like that. Um, so, it, a, an argument could be made... That he's not a normal person, that he has superpowers, but uh, um, but I think the intent was that he, even with these abilities, was a normal person, and that Doctor Manhattan is the only superpowered uh, being in the Watchmen universe. And then, as we uh, carry on here, we see a quick little scene of the clowns basically being tied up in the the owl ship and kind of left to stay there but you kind of see them wanting to break out and they have their own little tricks to do so but more importantly we have Lex Luthor and Ozzy are having this conversation and uh, basically told Lex Luthor about his plan that happened in the Watchmen comic about you know creating this monster in order to create chaos to unite everybody and it leads to one of my favorite lines here after he's uh, discussing that to Lex and Lex just goes if you're the smartest man on your planet, I'd hate to meet the dumbest. And uh, just talking about how, you know, that didn't quite uh, fare as well as he had hoped there. Um, so, yeah, you see, you know, the, them just kind of talking back and forth. And we'll cut back to them in a bit here as we cut back. Well, it's actually just back well, and forth yeah, here. It, it, it goes back pretty quick. Um, you got uh, Rorschach investigating the Batcave and, you know, thinking, what a monster this Bruce Wayne character must be because he's got all these trophies down here in his basement and uh, you know it, it would really take a, a real animal to keep all these things now am I correct in saying that um, he has the original Mr. Freeze suit yeah I think in that's there? The, is that what that is his more colorful first appearance <laughs> yeah and as Ozzy kind of wants to uh, enlist uh, Luther in their, their minds and kind of going forth with the story, we're interrupted by a, a gunshot, which... Uh, yeah, yeah, right here's the big spoiler of the book. Yeah, yeah. Ozzy was able to... Uh, is he dodging or he gets nicked? Uh, he... Yeah, it looks like uh, he, seems he got away. He seems to be he aware of it. I, I think it catches part of the cape or something if you look at the art yeah. closely. There's something... He uh, he dodges it, but it it does hit Luther. So Luther gets shot. Although uh, I I would guess it's not uh, terrible. Nothing too uh, fatal. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, as he turns around to see, and it's just impossible. Yeah. As we see the comedian um, standing there, uh, gun smoking. Yeah. Somehow or another, the comedian is is back and alive and well. Yeah, even before that, it's like, you know, last time last time you came at me, I was confused, drunk. You know, then Ozymandias is like, impossible, and you turn the page and you get that reveal. Um, yeah, referring to the, you know, the opening Watchmen story. Mm -hmm. of the... And then, then it's right after there that you get the, you ate my breakfast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, right in front of that giant penny. Yep. So, uh, 
Um, and then we see, you know, even the last is the the cuffs from the Mimes and the Mime and the Marionette uh, have broken free. So, you know, these are characters that we, I think we all agreed upon that are brand new to this story, right? Yes. There wasn't any... Yeah, they were created for this. Uh, they're established in kind of a backstory for them, you know, and that they've been around, but uh, locked up in, in prison for a good number of years. So I kind of like that idea, you know, kind of leaving on that note, you know, who knows what they're actually capable of and... You know what they could you know bring to the story as we go forth but i mean after these first two issues uh i i'm really loving it with me not being like a huge dc guy i definitely love the watchman and everything like that i'm you know 100 sold on this um as we're closing this out we'll welcome uh, katie to the table as we hear, <laughs> Hi, hear that on the podcast Hi, katie. Hey. Uh, there, there is actually one other thing that we kind of passed right over to that i want to bring up in yeah. here and that is Rorschach. This is a second Rorschach. It's been established. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a new Rorschach. Uh, we've seen his, his skin color. He's, he's a black man. Um, and we know next to nothing about Well, we pretty much know nothing about him until this book where Osmondias uses his first name. Uh, because there's been a lot of speculation. Who could this Rorschach be? Uh, right where they go through and they crash in the amusement park. Uh, um, Rorschach's a little out of it, and Asmendias, to, to kind of reach him, calls him by his first name, which is Reggie. Wow. So that's kind of a big reveal to those who are trying to figure out the identity of Rorschach number two. Who is Reggie? Who is Reggie number one? That sounds like a tie-in comic they could sell to us, so. Uh, I think that'll wrap it up for Doomsday Clock number two. And we're going to move over to Hawkman Found number one by Jeff Lemire, Kevin Nolan, and Brian Hitch. One of DC's greatest heroes is missing. No one has seen or heard from Carter Hall, a.k.a. Hawkman, in years. Reincarnated repeatedly since the dawn of humanity, Hawkman has spent his many lives uncovering history's most fantastic mysteries. And now he has become one himself. Take a journey into one of the darkest corners of the DC Universe as a mysterious man tries to piece together what happened to Hawkman and how it all connects to the events of Dark Knight's Metal. Now, Kurt's dad is the resident <laughs> Dark Knight's Metal tie-in reader. Only because I'm still trying to figure out everything. <laughs> well, and, and of course, Hawkman isn't really missing anymore because he turned up so about the, the last, end of the final page or so of, of, uh, of four, the most Dark recent Knight's Metal, metal. Four. Um, and this kind of then sets the stage about how he got there. So um, the comic opens with him and his Hawkman guys flying through the air. And suddenly his powers fail, he goes crashing to the ground, and suddenly we see him wake up. He's bearded, disheveled, in a cave somewhere, um, and as he's moving through the cave, he talks about every night he has this dream, that he's flying, and then everything, it suddenly his ability disappears and he crashes to the ground. That's his every single night dream he can't remember much about his past can't remember who he is just that he's living in these dark caves um that he's been for a long time and in these dark caves are a bunch of other um they appear to be dressed like thingarians to a certain extent so he's looking through the cave and they're attacked by flying bird 
men who come down and snatch people away and take them away to this ship that's up in the air and they never come back. Um, but uh, Carter Hall has decided he's not going to take this anymore. He's fashioned weapons out of stone and wood. He's got a spear and a, and a stone axe and he starts taking on the Birdmen. Um, he's not going to let them run his life. And he chases them off and he sees them flying up toward the ship and he starts to climb ledges to get up there. He's, he says, you know, um, that every night there's an instant where I hang in midair and I'm afraid, um, I'm so afraid to be up this high all alone, but I'm not going to stop. Um, he's, he's afraid he's going to fall, but he climbs all the way up to where he's even with the ship and leaps across to get into the ship. Um, just barely catches on, manages to get inside, and lo and behold, he suddenly starts to get his memory back because there are all these weapons that he sees there. Um, starts to remember his life as Hawkman. At first he thinks they're weapons of torture, and then he realizes, no, these are weapons of war, that he's, he doesn't know exactly who he is, but he's a warrior, and he's got to somehow um, fight his way through this, and then he's suddenly confronted by a dark version of himself, the dark Hawkman. Um, and, uh, and he said, the uh, dark Hawkman says, all of your souls belong to me. All of you are caught in this, this darkness that I am. Um, and then Carter Hall starts to remember a lot of what's going on. Um, he went to Challengers Mountain, where the Challengers were lost um, in the dark multiverse, decided he needed to go in and try to find them. Um, when he gets there, um, he finds the dark universe, and he also finds the um, Forge of Worlds. And he knows now that, you know, um, that uh, uh, the dark god has left his post, has rebelled against the forge. And so he starts to forge, um, take up the forge himself. Um, he has to forge the world because all life depends on it. And suddenly all these hawk creatures come and attack him and drive him off from the forge. Um, took me from the forge and brought me to the, this prison that I'm in. Um, so he continues to fight the, um, this dark version of himself. And the center of this becomes the dark Hawkman says, you think you know who you really are. You don't even realize what you've become. Carter Hall, the great explorer, once driven by nothing but discovery and love, now you are the engine for the end of discovery. You will wither and die, killing all possibility in your wake, and I will be all that remains, and then maybe I'll go after Kendra. Um, so he's kind of insinuating at the heart of Carter Hall is this darkness that's now being manifest in front of him, and Carter then, at that point, loses it, beats him to death, takes his uniform and puts it on, um, and then he realizes that somehow he has been reshaped by his place in here. Um, he says, he's right, this place has done something to me. It's taken something from me, so I take something back. Um, 
so many lives, so many memories, a jumble of possibilities, these things I've seen, I don't know what's real anymore and what isn't. Each night I dream I'm a bird, no, not a bird, a warrior, and I dream that I can fly. Nothing holds me back, gravity fades away, I'm free, truly free, but each night the dream quickly turns into a nightmare. Um, but this time, it's not going to. And so then we're revealed with the, um, that he's pulled into the blackness now to become this dark version of himself. Um, very, a very well-told story in some ways. Um, but again, it, for me, the metal series leaves so many questions unanswered. And I was trying to figure out what bothers me about the story. <laughs> I don't know if, how everybody else has felt about it so far, but what seems to bother me about it is, for me as a longtime comic reader, um, I believe there has to be change in the universes that are going on, but there need to be some anchor points. Yeah that you're hanging on to. And Dark Knight's Metal sometimes seems to leave us with no anchors. You know, you're just kind of getting all this thing, stuff thrown at you. Almost like, you know, it's interesting. One thing, at least I felt, when both when I read Dark Knight's Metal 4, and then this one particularly, these superheroes come up on the Dark Forge, which I went online and trying to figure out, has this ever been mentioned before in DC continuity? As far as I can find, no. But nobody seems particularly surprised. <laughs> so, just go with it. Tell us know, a story, we believe it. You know, if I suddenly was introduced to the fact that there was this other dark universe and that somehow in this universe there was a forge that helped create our universe and kept other things from slipping through, I mean, I'd be aghast at that. And they're just like, okay. Here's the dark forge. <laughs> Guess I better get hammer in here and keep things going. <laughs> there seems to be, you know, they introduce so many other things in the story, and they don't, it's almost like they don't give you time to absorb the new realities. So we get into this bar that's out there that nobody's ever heard of in the comic universe before, and we're hardly given time to assimilate it before everybody there is dead and we've moved on to something else. It's like, it's almost too much. That's, and I don't know where everybody else is at. No, I, I can completely uh, see where you're coming from there. Um, and I'd, I'd have to agree. Even some of the characters, um, it almost feels like they're like a lot of these big stories. They'll still use a few different characters that will kind of guide you through the story, mm -hmm. and they jump around through so much, and there's so much going on, and so quickly that you don't even have that. Um, you know, early on, you kind of you get the impression that this is going to be a DC universe thing, but it's a Batman thing, and you've got that. But it's not so much of a Batman thing that you feel like this is a Batman thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you're kind of jumping around and you get a little bit from this character and a little bit from these characters. Um, and it, it really does feel like a lot going on in just a little bit of space. And, and so many disconnected things. I mean... Has anybody figured out where Plastic Man's egg came from? I mean, we're still not even sure no, where the, the heck cave. this came from. And we don't know why it was in the bad cave. Why it's even an egg. You know, what, what happened with Plastic Man? You know, there's Man so many things that are just in there. throwing in there. Like, we're just supposed to 
and it's it's just not my nature to just jump in and okay, this is what's going on here. I'm kind of what? I think they would have done a, a one shot like that for you know plastic egg found or something. Number one, give a little more insight, but yeah. Egg laid. <laughs> and, I, and I come to the table to get more information about it as I read it where I don't, um, I'm not picking up a lot of it. So mm. so if you guys are a little more confused, then I'm just really lost. But, <laughs> and, but, and again, we've said many times, like, this is one of those <clears throat> events um, where you, you pretty much have to read all these tie-ins and side stories to even know what's going on. Because the main book, uh, they kind of walk, not even walk you through, they run you through yeah. uh, <laughs> some of these points real quick. <laughs> and um, honestly, I have a hard time remembering what I read and what you've told us, yeah. you know, from, from reading the other stories. Because I'm like, you know, I, you, you do a, a very good job of, of walking us through these books that we're not reading. And sometimes I'm going, I know that that happened. Did I did I read that? Where did that happen? Was that in the main book? Or was, was it in the side book that I didn't even look? Because sometimes I know I'm not going to read a book like Hawkman Found Two. Uh, I flipped through it, you know, uh, just so I had some visual reference because I knew that you'd be uh, talking about it. Um, so as you're you're walking through, I had some visual references and know, okay, I know what you're talking about when you're talking about these uh, uh, Thanagarian like people and I didn't know if they were or yeah. not but I knew what they looked like and yeah. um, and and stuff like that so so sometimes maybe that's a problem too because then I I have these visual uh, accounts of what happened as well even though I might not have read the actual story so it makes it a little bit harder for me to remember okay what did I read in the main book and what was going on in the side books well and some of the concepts to me are also you know again there's different ways you can take comics. And I think some people just take it for, this is the story, this is the action, I'm just gonna go with it. But I stop and think about things like, okay, we've got this Dark Forge, how exactly does this work? There's somebody who's wiping out unwanted realities, and when that's not working, all those realities continue to exist in the dark multiverse, and how is that, you know, how does that affect our universe? I haven't exactly pieced together. <laughs> That's well, supposed to work. And as they're all coming out of the Dark Forge, yeah. what's keeping them all from being in the same universe, you know, versus uh, what's going into the Dark Multiverse and what's going into the regular one? Because if they're just coming out, what's putting them in where? Well, and they made a quick sort of reference to they, they have only so long of a shelf life, these dark things, because they're not meant to be the real reality. And so they come out... They have a short life expectancy, and so they have to act within that time to get into our universe, or they will cease to exist. So, but, but initially, this, uh, Barbados was, you know, the destroyer, the dragon that that destroyed these things. So, you know, maybe he wasn't that useful to begin with if they only last for so long. Anyways, I don't know. Yeah, but the one thing I think we all continue to agree about is that the art, Greg Capullo, oh, throughout yeah. the series very, has, cool. yeah, has been good. good. So that's one thing that uh, has been pretty consistent. The covers are amazing. Yeah. Hawkman awesome. Found and, is just kind of an awesome cover. Um, so the design the design of the series, I, uh, I and like. I And I said it last time when we were talking about uh, the last metal book, um, and I'll say it again. Initially when it started, the uh, the art seemed as disjointed as the story did. Um, 
and now everything, even though you have all these different people working together, I, I really feel as though it, it flows together better uh, visually than, than it did, you know, initially. And it has created some really neat villains, some really neat sort of figures. The problem is that to receive them into the story, you almost have to suspend all real thinking about it. You know, you have to just <laughs> go with the story. Okay, I'm just going to go with this. I don't care whether it makes sense in continuity or anything else. I'm just going to read the story. Don't ask questions. <laughs> That's right. Just, who just go with it. <laughs> Trust us. <laughs> I think that'll wrap it up for the spoiler section of the podcast. Okay, for non-spoilers, uh, one thing that uh, we have a lot of copies at the table of. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think everybody at the table has read. Phoenix it's Resurrection, Resurrection. <laughs> number one of five, which appears to be a... Uh, David over here. Except other but this oh, you, is, you didn't get a chance to read it? No, okay. I have not read it either. But this is a non-spoiler okay. section, so this is your, your sell on it. It's a five-issue uh, miniseries that appears to be coming out weekly, so uh, if you want something you know, without... Something like Dark Knight Metal, where you know it's been going on forever. Um, <laughs> we can get something like this, where we can kind of you know jump in and get your five issues. And um, going into this, we have the idea that the character of Jean Grey, who is uh, long since uh, been around, she's one of those characters that you know has come back, but not as often as you know you would expect. Like I think it's been like over ten years since the character proper has been. In, in a story and in the universe. And leading up to this, you've had a lot of different uh, Phoenix references, whether it be in the, in the Thanos book, uh, there's been some talk of that, as well as Jean Grey's series herself, which I've uh, shed some praise on. Uh, you and I, me and Kurtstad, have really been enjoying that series. But when you go into this one, you feel like you probably need a lot of information, but I feel it kind of set it up in a very, like, entry point sort of way where it's very yeah where it's very mysterious to the characters of what's happening in the book which i think the readers can probably latch on to pretty well without uh feeling bogged down by like you know 50 years of comic history in certain points right i was actually surprised because um we had just talked about you know the most recent issue of gene gray yeah and we felt that that was going to be very and, and could still end up being yeah. quite important to this, but it's it's not mentioned at all. At all, and I was <laughs> I was really surprised to see that. So um, so as it turns out, you can read this without having read that uh, that issue of Jean Grey. And this whole debut issue kind of revolves around the idea that there's a, a mysterious uh, incident. Once again, to keep it as vague as possible, with it being a five issue miniseries and. Um, you know, a mysterious incident that drew the X-Men team to the crime scene, uh, which uh, kind of leads to bigger and badder things. And and I, I love the pace of this. I like the idea that even though I was very much ready for the Jean Grey from her solo series to kind of launch right into this, I was actually kind of caught off guard, but uh, in an entertaining way of kind of approaching the problem from a different angle, so to speak, rather than just being a continuation from the last uh, issue of that series, which I think, you know, like you said, too, will most likely play a part. But I, I like the idea that it did feel very much like a like an entry point for the, mm, for the yeah. most part. And, That's good. And there was a... Uh, I, I kind of like that it started off with... It, it could have really started with any of the current X-Men teams, 
Um, but they didn't just have random X-Men respond, which some stories over the years, you know, uh, outside of a main title, has done that, where it just... Um, pick an X-Men. Yeah, X-Men. they just picked them, threw them together, and they're the ones that responded. Uh, kind of kind of how um, the current Astonishing X-Men started out, where they kind of... Uh, it se- seemed to be random ones uh, joining up. But this was actually the team... Uh, to begin with, that is the the X Men Gold team um, that initially checks it out, and then they call everybody together. So there is um, reason, you know, why the those certain X Men are are there, and then split off into teams to to check this out. Right. They um, what they've done is taken again. Basic readers won't know it, but they've taken the X-Men who have the closest connections to Jean Grey and made them the ones that are now searching out what's happening, even though they don't necessarily know. Yeah, there's there's happen. some looks, you know, thrown around. Yeah. So, I, th- you know, I think there's some suspicion going on as to what's going on, uh, but they nobody outright comes and says, hey, I think Jean's back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other thing um, that... Is surprising to learn, um, and I'm, I'll say this without really giving any spoilers, but um, Phoenix Resurrection. Once you, you you read this, you start to get the feeling that Phoenix Resurrection isn't just referring to Jean Grey's resurrection. The name of the book isn't Jean Grey Resurrection; it's Phoenix Resurrection, and so there's some some surprises. In there. Yeah, I was just going to say, the last seven pages, if you, I'm not going to say anything about them, but if you don't read this, you will miss something really unique in the last seven pages of the book. And this, honestly, (laughs) I could, I could see this could, would have been easily a 12 issue series that they could have sold and dragged out, but I like the idea that they're like, hey, that's five issues, and apparently the wrap up is going to be in Jean Grey 11, which is going to be like, you know, the, the final little piece of the puzzle. Um, but essentially, you know, it just exists here. It's all going to happen within the month. And and that way they don't waste any time getting into X-Men Red. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I highly enjoyed it. Beautiful cover as well with the kind of 3D hologramness going. So I was, they, they've been doing it with this type of cover, but um, I always like the fact that the, they the don't waste the back. Yeah, they, the they back the also has a cool little holographic effect there. So, you know, yeah. in, in this case, now I love that Marvel issue. By the way, though. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I'm excited for the next one. Yeah. And we only have to wait till Wednesday. So <laughs> if you well, yeah. something, <laughs> um, and then uh, moving on, you want to talk about the the path to the. Jedi, Last Jedi, Star Wars, Storms of Crate number one. I think that's the title. Yes. Journey to... Yep. Storms <laughs> of Crate is... And it's actually, for people who read this, what's neat is this is a self-contained story in yeah. and of itself. Um, but what I loved about this is, even in a lot of the novels that went out, a neat time to read about some of the stuff in Star Wars was right after the Battle of Yavin. Yeah. And this, that's the time period of this particular story. You get Luke Skywalker not as the bright, shiny Jedi Knight, but as a guy who's just 
starting to figure out he has any attachment to the force, and his gritty personality as a farm boy from Tatooine is just as important as his connection to the force. And I think that that makes for a really interesting story. It's mainly, like a lot of the Star Wars stories that came out in novels about, well, now the Yavin base has been exposed. Where are we going to go? So that's the yeah. main point in this. You know, they're on this expo exploration of where do we go, and that leads them into this just this kind of single adventure. I don't. They say this is Star Wars number one. I hope it's not going to end it's, just because it's the end of that one story right away. Well, <laughs> what this is, it is a one shot. Um, oh, because as we uh, <laughs> as we learned in the Last Jedi, which is uh, non spoiler news, I'm going to give here is that a planet uh, that we we met in that movie is is where they put this into concrete in the continuity of like you right. said after like episode four right. so you kind of get like oh they've you know been there before and you just kind of get a little extra background history yeah. and but, but it but it is a one shot yeah it's one shot it's a neat story i would certainly recommend people just you know if you're a star wars fan and this, yeah and if you're coming off of the movie and you see you know oh it's about the the planet of crate um this, like you had said, where they're stretching out, you know, the the search for the you know the Echo Base, basically for the Empire Strikes Back, is that that's what the main Star Wars series has been doing uh, for the last couple of years, and mm -hmm. kind of shows how much story is in between movies that we haven't seen before. And yeah. so, if you're just checking this out for the first time, this is a good example of what you get in the main Star Wars title. Yeah. So I got a weird question. Okay, so yes. bouncing off the name of that. So we have the Planet Crate, which we just met and learned about. Um, going back to, like, you know, Star Wars, the original one, New Hope, there's Crate Dragons on Tatooine. It's the only thing that, like, the, you know, the sand people are afraid of, and it's a big rite of passage. You go out and fight the Crate Dragon. So Crate Dragons came long before. But now we have the planet crate. I'm wondering if there's a connection. I remember people talking about that, and I think there's a different uh, spelling. And that's, yeah, yeah that's what is. I was wondering how they were going to back themselves out of that. Yeah. Do they have their own little life form here that's very interesting? So. Yeah, they, <laughs> that's, they do. Well, that's they really and actually, do. I was going to ask, because not that familiar with the you know, expanded universe stuff is the crate dragon. Is this something from what is currently canon, or is this like previous canon expanded universe stuff uh because one of the things that they've been doing with the new the new disney star wars is uh, they will you know make things they'll name things after something from mm -hmm. that that they're not going to use and they're not going to make it part of canon but they'll uh give it almost as like an easter egg yeah. um and that's possible you know like like star killer yeah base yeah, uh, sure. you know Maybe my brain's filling it in. Don't they briefly? Doesn't like Ben say, "Oh, I used a crate dragon call or well, something"? Or am I yeah. just when making this up? When he chases, when he yeah, chases, chases the, the uh, same people, away, yeah. people away, he makes that weird sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember oh, coming right, across right. people discussing that same Maybe thing. I and, right, right. I think it's that detail in. I think it's a spelling where I think yeah. it's the yeah. same. I think it's the same word, but a different spelling. So yeah. we'll not to make it, it confusing. We'll take it on good faith. Yeah, but yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving on to uh, an Image Comics title, we have uh, Glitter Bomb, the Fame game number four just came out. Uh, what I'm going to sell you on is the Fame or Glitter Bomb, which was a four issue miniseries that was last year, and now the sequel to that, book two, if you will, is another four issues. Um, the Fame game or Glitter Bomb in itself is basically a, 
a horror story about fortune and fame and, and failure. And it's a story about a, a middle-aged actress who grew up in a kind of like on a Star Trek type of show, and she had a lot of fame. Um, but as she ages, as she realizes it's harder to get work, and she's kind of typecast as that person from that show, um, the first series of this book, um, which is probably available in trade paperback, four issues only, uh, focuses on her trying to get back into the business, but then there's this dark demon energy that is uh, brings the horror element, a supernatural element into the series, and that led to a very interesting four-issue series. Um, there was a character from that one, which was a babysitter to that character's child, who is the focus of the Fame Game miniseries. Um, so both are connected, uh, but they in really they are their own separate stories in a way, too. Um, and this is a story about where this girl, um, the babysitter, got famous due to the events of the first miniseries from last year. And she wanted to be a, an actress and get famous as well, but not necessarily in the way that it happened in this mm -hmm. book, in a very horrific type of way that, you know, was the finale of the first series. And so in this one just wrapped up with issue four. Um, Jim Zub, who is uh, the upcoming writer for the Avengers, uh, No Surrender that we'll be talking about. He's been making a, making his presence known in comics with uh, Wayward from Image Comics, which I've been reading. Uh, he's been writing, I think he has some history with like Dungeons and Dragons, and he has just a, he's one of those like independent comic writers that is like slowly starting to really be on the rise, and he's writing multiple titles at once, and all different genres as well, and uh, and then you have the art by uh, Jibril Morissette Fan, that's maybe how you say the name, um, anytime there's a hyphen that just makes it harder to pronounce, pronounce it as well. Um, but what's interesting about all eight issues of this series is that you have a backup essays um, by Holly Rachel Hughes, um, who has a website for essays on exojane.com. In the backup of every single Glitter Bomb issue, you have someone who's worked in the industry. It was real-life stories of her talking about the real-life horrors, not in a supernatural way, but of her as a woman in the industry of being a producer and wanted to be, you know, show running and doing all this kind of stuff that in a way it, you know, it makes sense. It has nothing to do with the actual comic that you read, but it's a real life take on, you know, what they're kind of telling in this overall comic. And at the time of the first four issues, a lot has happened in Hollywood, which we're unfortunately hearing about mm -hmm. in the news. And Jim Zub kind of chimes in with this last issue here. Um, just kind of saying how um, how crazy it's been making this series because coincidentally all this stuff started to unfold in Hollywood while you know he was just telling you know a fictionalized supernatural horror version and now it's relatable unfortunately to a you know on a, on a different extent but the book really gives you a lot to read like I said it's worth it for the essays alone they've been so good there but it's an interesting independent horror series about fame and failure. Eight issues out there, four issue arcs. Check them out. Glitter Bomb. Then we'll move on to Imaginary Fiends. Imaginary Fiends number two. Yes. I remember when I first uh, talked about Imaginary Fiends, I said this is um, X-Files meets Stranger Things. And yes, this is proving to be exactly what it is as you move through the, the book. Um, it's just a fascinating kind of merger of 
people trying to figure out supernatural realities and people caught up in those realities. Um, to give you a quick read on the first issue, um, in case you're interested in following it, um, Melba Lee is a young woman who has a fiend that only she can see. And um, as it turns out, the fiends seek out those who have great fears and they can play on those fears and interact with them. Caused her to be sent to um, an insane, insane asylum for a while. But an FBI agent who encountered the after effects of these things, who now forces himself to see these realities, but can't in the same way she does, gets her out of the insane asylum and makes her an FBI agent to go with him and seek out these realities. And um, Because issued, the truth is out there. The yeah, truth is out there. And the second <laughs> issue is her first case in this new role as um, an FBI agent, mainly um, kind of employed by the FBI because she can see realities that other people can't see. And... Um, yeah, I've been digging as well. The Imaginary Fiends, as they name, I'll just give off these fictional names that exist within the book, and they're kind of funny that it could sell you on it as well, because there's uh, Polly Peach Pit, we've got Key Lime Frogman, and uh, Charlie Chokecherry are just some of the characters that are kind of these imaginary fiends that they yeah. make reference to. And Tim Seeley, uh, who is a Wisconsin-born writer, um, He's the guy that did the uh, Image Comics uh, revival, which took place in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, um, in which, uh, coming into 2018, there's a, a, a movie that's in development that I've had connection of. I, I don't think I've teased this in a podcast form, but... Uh, no, I don't, don't think so. We talked about it initially. Yeah, you know. but uh, with Tim Seeley's creation with Mike Norton for that series, um, uh, they're filming a movie, and I'm actually... Uh, have been uh, befriending the director of it, and they're talking about getting like uh, extras and stuff, and they're going to film in Wausau to kind of be true with this independent movie. So when I read stuff like this and knowing like how so many independent comics are being turned into TV shows and movies nowadays, like when I'm watching this or reading this, here I already said it, um, I'm already starting to like picture like picture it on a show. Yeah, because <laughs> you know while you do have some like. Dem demonic things going on it is you know true and like a detective story that i could see being done like in a televised format where you know so far it hasn't relied on just these big monsters and explosions and special right. effects like like i love how yeah. it's kind of yeah there's a subtlety about it and the artistry the artwork in it is incredible it is a mature book yeah. i wouldn't have your 10 year old reading imaginary fiends yeah but. yeah <laughs> As cute as the title what sounds. <laughs> I'm not sure. you got to figure that out with your own kid. <laughs> well, based off you talking about it, um, I actually just pre-ordered it today because it sounds really oh, cool. great. So. Yeah. I, Tim Seeley, I'm, I'm attracted to that writer's name, so when I see him do a vertical series, which means, you know, creator-owned stuff, that uh, I had high hopes for this one, and it's uh, fulfilling that. Yeah, it's great. Taking it. Uh, moving on to Boom Studios, another independent comic here, Eugenic, number three of three. Uh, James Tinian IV, who's uh, been writing detective comics over at DC, and Eric Donovan. This is a series that I found is better to read the description than me to try to 
<laughs> it's, it's quite the book. Uh, when a plague ravages the world, one scientist discovers the cure and becomes the savior of mankind. Hope is restored and the world rebuilds. But then, people who took the cure begin having children who are unnatural and the definition of normal is forever altered. So this is, uh, I talked about the first issue uh, two months ago where it, it can kind of throw you off. It is like a 30-some page book, but it is a five ninety nine price tag. Now that can be very, you know... Uh, you know, that could kind of shy you away from it when you see that it's not, you know, it's not like a hardcover book. It's not, you know, like a 70-page book. But the story and the art, uh, I think, uh, really uh, paid off in this uh, to kind of live up to that price. So a story about, you know, these, uh, you know, the cure that happened. Uh, and once new children are born, you see them, uh, some deformed characters, which I'll just kind of show you uh, an example here to people in the seeing room. it here. Yes. We can't show you, sorry. But, <laughs> yeah, but you, you just see some alien deformities. Oh, of, but tough. this book, there's three different books, and it's three different stages where it was, you know, the first book existed in a, just, it was like in 2020 or just in a, in a realistic future for us. Uh, and then the next one kind of took it, you know, like, you know, hundreds of years later. And each step of this series just kind of takes look at life um, and how it evolved into this. They call them the Newmans, not in like Newman from Seinfeld, you know, not that Newman, but N-U-Mans because it's the new species. And by book three, you got to the point where they're so far from actual humanity that we know that they don't even care of how they got there to begin with. And it's such a, it's a heavy book. It's, very just there's so much thought that went into it and like i said with the price tag it can kind of you know really turn you off but up uh, you know now that it's done the three books most likely it'll be collected in a trade and you know then maybe that'll be a little more affordable too if you're interested in checking out if you don't see it out on the racks but uh yeah it's a it's a book once again going by a writer uh he i've been loving when he's been doing a detective comics so with him writing an independent series i'm like all right i'll give it a shot and it's been a very interesting ride. I will give one note that uh, I bought the variant cover for issue three because it had the sloth on yeah. the cover. Um, the sloth had no uh, purpose in issue one, two, or even three. I don't know if it's just National Sloth Month or something. That uh, it's a nice. I cover. was trying yeah, yeah. to figure out what was going on with the sloth. So I was going to buy it solely because there was a sloth about yeah. the cover. <laughs> so that's a disclaimer cool. that, and nothing against the book in itself, but there are no sloths in this comic. It has nothing to do with it. I don't know why it's there. <laughs> no sloths were slaughtered. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, once again. This <laughs> but like you had said with the last book, with Imaginary Fiends, much like Eugenic as well as Glitter Bomb, all three of those are a mature audience type of book too for anyone that's interested. So don't let the sloth you know, fool you either. So. But, Mommy, this one has a sloth. <laughs> Yeah, so there's some grown-up themes going on in that book there. But yeah, just a real... It, those three books that we just talked about are those examples after we just talked about superheroes and capes for, you know, a half hour. Those are three good examples of what comics can offer outside of the superhero world. Yeah. So, 
And then speaking of superheroes, um, and back to the superheroes, <laughs> I, sh- I should have put this one ahead. Man. Okay, X Men Grand Design number one of three. Um, another higher price book, but you're uh, getting about forty pages out of this one. And this is one that I passed on in previews because I'm like, all right, I don't need more, you know, X Men books as we were. You know, <laughs> we always bring up X Men Gold, Blue, Red, all that. Um, but with this, it's an interesting creation from Ed Piscor who. Writes, draws, colors, and letters. This he's a he's a bestseller for this uh, history of hip hop. I think is the book that he's famous for. Uh, basically, he's had a love of the X Men, and he just threw out like a tweet or something, just saying Marvel should let me do something with the X Men. And apparently, that caught their attention, and they said, "What do you want to do?" And he says, "I want to do this," which is basically like a source book of X Men. Uh, history uh going back into the beginning of mutants kind of leading into uh young charles xavier and how he builds the school leading up to the uh creation of the original team of the x-men um and this does it in a very interesting way where it seems like you would have so much content so how can you achieve all of that in 40 pages and for some reason somehow it actually he accomplishes it another sell which got me once i saw it in the store this is why i picked it up because to honor that uh, legacy, Marvel legacy, and the old way of comics, and you're dipping into the history of Marvel, they printed on the old paper stock. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And immediately when I saw that, I because I was sorting the comics the other day, and I'm like, yep, I'm buying this one. And alternate's uh, like, hey, catching on tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I. I'm already sold on this. Yeah. So well, actually, I I thought that you might be sold on the uh, the artwork because knowing some of the. Uh, the art that uh, young other David here uh, likes, I, I kind of looked at some of this and I thought, well, this this looks like something artistically that that would interest you. Well, yeah. And what I find neat looking at it now, I'm, I might be interested in getting it too, <laughs> yeah. is that a lot of times when they have like a history volume or a know about the characters volume, it's more encyclopedic. So it's like these long written pages yeah. with maybe a picture up in the corner. This is normal None comic panels, you know, that are giving us the story in a much more um, entertainment sort of oriented way. So. Yeah, and it, it just kind of blew my mind as I read this last night and just kind of going through and just seeing how you get all of these origin stories for all these characters and you even see characters like Captain America and like Wolverine. So even though this is about... You know, the X-Men as we know them in comics where, you know, Wolverine didn't come around to like 20 years later in the in the comics uh, publication. Um, you know, this this roots his history into that as well. So just like you, that 100% what you said where this isn't that source guidebook of paragraphs of prose and everything like that, that this is all comic panels. And I opened up to the middle here and it looks like it was a comic that I did pull out from, you know, the 60s. It's mm-hmm. got these yellowed pages and... And uh, it makes me, you know, want to th- rustle it up a little more and, you know, add some extra wear to it because while it is in great condition, but the inside uh, needs to match the outside, I think. Yeah, so. it's going to be tough to grade that someday yeah. when they're going, oh, yeah, like, the pages are yellowed. yellowed. <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to keep this one in the bag and board. I want to rough this one up as much as possible. <laughs> but yeah, for anyone who uh, maybe just has a small history of the X-Men, they dipped in and out of comics or maybe have seen the movies, this is a great way to be like, all right, I don't have the time and expenses to go through all the, the Marvel masterworks. And you get your Marvel history. And there's going to be two more books. And I'm so curious to see if Actually, that catches it up to modern or what. Is it going to be two more books? Because I, 
Well, here's the thing is, initially I was trying to remember, it's like, yeah, you'd think there's packing so much in, this has got to be like six issues or something like that. And then, uh, um, then I was talking to Jim, who's not here today, and he, he was mentioning three. Um, and he had, he had ordered that. He picked up the first one and wanted, wanted the rest of them. And I had mentioned it to, to Kurt, and Kurt goes, oh, you know, it's, it's only two issues. So I looked, actually, I went, went on Diamond Sight, whatever, because I wanted to make sure that we had enough of, uh, of the second one to, to take care of Jim and everything. And sure enough, there's only two listed in there, and everything that I see in there says two. So I don't know if this was a case of initially they were maybe they cut saying it down. this would be three and it got cut down, or um, but I'm amazed e even at three issues that they could pack that much uh, X Men history into it. And it's great to to hear that they do a good job. Um, I I kind of for for myself, you know, thought well I've read X Men going all the way back <laughs> to their first their first one, so I don't need this one. But um, but yeah, it sounds like this would be great for anybody who is um, interested in jumping into the the X Men books to get that background without having to read, you know, hundreds uh, of of books to to catch up. You know, this gives you that that brief overview. If there's certain periods that you'd like more information on, you know, you can always pick up a. The trades of the classic storylines like the Dark Phoenix Saga or Days of Future Past. And, and, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because in the back they give you the in additional reading index here. So right down it'll say page one, uh, a story about Uatu the Watcher debuted in here. So you can read them here. And there's two pages of where you can find all of the history they plucked and decided, you know, where he was wanted to tell the X-Men mm -hmm. story. So if you wanted more information on that... And say, oh, what happened on page 37? Well, you can see page 37, Jean Grey was introduced as the final member of the team in X-Men number 1, 1963. So, yeah, it's an interesting... You can see that this was made 100% by someone who loves the X-Men. And uh, I love the grand design of this book. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to definitely uh, put in orders to get the other ones, which I think, yeah, I think it was advertised as three, but, yeah, maybe they cut it down to two, but... Yeah, it's good, and I would like to see him. This is his introduction into Marvel, so I'd like to see him uh, uh, do this for other characters and kind of that would be other franchises, and that'd be kind of a cool. Well, that would that would be great. The characters who have been around for you know as as long as uh, the X Men, um, Spider Man, Grand Design, Spider Man would be a great one to do. Um, Web Design, you know, or uh, <laughs> the Avengers. Doing things, you know, yeah, the Avengers would be great. Um, you know, when they eventually bring the Fantastic Four back, that would be a great way to do it. Not yeah. just bring them back, but to have a book mm -hmm. like this to go along with their return. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, when we got a new Fantastic Four book, eventually to have that for the, the new readers yeah. to go, hey, this is what the Fantastic Four is all about. Mm -hmm. This is where they've been and done and, and everything over the many years that they've been out there. And, uh, you know... You're certainly welcome to go read all this old stuff, but in the meantime, here, get caught up. And then to learn more about the passion from Ed Piscor, uh, he did a recent interview on the Word Balloon podcast, which is probably one of the best um, creator-interviewed uh, podcasts um, from John Suntress that uh, 
get a little more insight on that, and it's kind of makes you appreciate it even more too when you see, you know, hear about someone talking about it for an hour that how he approached taking all that history and putting it into 40 pages. So good stuff. So I think that'll wrap it up for the non-spoilers. And now the news. Over in the news, uh, we did get the new previews catalogs here in the store. And looking ahead at the next week releases, uh, we don't have any selected club picks. Uh, we'll most likely be chiming in on some Phoenix Resurrection again um, to further sell that one if we're enjoying it. But uh, uh, the previous catalogs are out, so this is a good time for people to kind of assemble their list, come into the store, check it out, see what's coming out for the month of February, I believe it is. Um, and uh, you can go ahead and make those lists, and then anyone listening and here at the table, feel free to kind of bring your little uh, list or condensed list and kind of say, oh, here's something new and interesting. Here's a reprint or like an old story that I'm into, and we can kind of go what we did last month do and do a roundtable of kind of, you know, doing a, a verbal uh, preview of what I'll throw up on the Facebook page. Yeah, and actually I should make the correction. Now, the previews that we will be on now, because now we're into... Going into January, and it just came out, we're still at the end of uh, December, but these are kind of the January ones that uh, these orders will be, you know, due uh, probably about the last week or so of January. So these will be the things that are coming out in March. March, okay. So yeah, that'll be, uh, those are out there now, so stop in and build your pull list. And um, I was just going to mention... In a lot of the DC titles, and also in Vertigo title and Imaginary Fiends, um, DC has made clear there's a bunch of new titles coming out. And I think it just to quickly go over what people can look for in the new year coming out of DC, um, Damage will be out there, kind of a um, government-sponsored... Hulk. They, yeah, almost like a Hulk. <laughs> they say he's a breathing, living, breathing, ticking time bomb. <laughs> Yeah, kind of everything so, that I've looked at goes, okay, you look at visually, it looks like a new kind of DC's take on Hulk. Hulk. You read some of the stuff about it and kind of think Hulk. Except this guy's government so, sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> um, silencer, uh, an assassin trying to get out of the business who finds that it's not so easy to get out of the business. Um, Sideways, who is um, someone who is affected by the Dark Knight's metal, falls through a rift, and now he can leap through dimensions at will. Um, yeah, kind so. of a Spider-Man looking. <laughs> yeah, he looked. At, when I first looked at it, I went Spider-Man. V- visually, it's, like, no. it's a Spider-Man look. <laughs> is this yeah. another Stanley Just Imagine series? But, <laughs> but uh, this is he can what, just go through time, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of dimensional it's, it's warps, like, uh, almost like teleporting. Yeah, yeah. The Terrifics also coming out of the. Um, the dark metal um, world, they are lost somehow now in the, in the dark metal world somewhere. Um, we have um, Mr. Terrific, Metamorpho, Plastic Man, and Phantom Girl. Yeah, Plastic Man, not Plastic Egg. So, so, at some so point, somehow the egg hatched. He hatches. <laughs> um, the Immortal Men, we've had in the past in DC, Immortal Man. This is now a group headed up by him who are Immortal Men who go out and face various challenges in the world. Um, Brims, the Curse of Brimstone, uh, 
kid trying to get by makes a deal with the devil, and now he has um, powers that go with that, but also some interesting um, things that might pop up with that. Um, some people remember Challengers of the Unknown. They're back. New Challengers. Brand new team. With the, yep. with the reappearance of the Challengers Mountain yep. comes a, a brand new Brand new team. Challengers team. And the last one is the Unexpected, which, is, which the description of it is interested. Orbits around a group of heroes who yearn to show the world that they're more than the sum of their past mistakes. Mm. It centers in on something we all face every day, wrestling with our pasts and the compromises we've made. So the unexpected is offering a second chance for these heroes, even if they don't all know they want one. And I don't have that in front of me, but I had seen an ad for that one too, and uh, they, they showed like these four characters, and the, the one that seemed to be in the center of this image, uh, my first thought was... Doctor Strange. Strange. Yes, he does look yeah, like so, so we got a, the Hulk, we got Spider-Man, we got Doctor Strange. He, he, it seems like all the characters have some mystical element about them when you look at the pictures that go with them. So so just so people know, there are new things happening in the DC world. Okay. Yeah, and, and these are all spa spawning out of uh, metal. So, And if I'm not mistaken, because I think I pre-ordered the damage one, is that each of the, I would assume, maybe just the first issues, they have these special fold-out covers in which they're going to, like, you open it up, and apparently it's going to fold upwards and, like, down, like, horizontal, so vertical. Like, timeline thing? <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's an interesting, and I saw that just as, a, like, a fan of comics, like, this a fun little gimmick, like the glow-in-the-dark comic or something right. like that. So I'm like, all right, I'll and just check it out. So. Okay. So, so, yeah, I think damage is the one I so got. I, so. I don't know. We got Bendis going over to DC now, and now we've got all these characters that, at least visually, uh, have these real Marvel looks to them. So, uh, <laughs> you know, DC, it's the new Marvel. It's the new Marvel. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New, Happy New Year, Year, everyone. Happy New Year. And speaking of Happy New Year, um, yes. yeah, for most people, by the time they'd be listening to this podcast, we'll, we'll be in uh, the New Year. 2018, so we're just finishing off uh, 2017. Um, been a great year so far, um, at, at least you know for the club, uh, for the comic book store. Um, we uh, we had our our uh, holiday Christmas Life Day uh, party last weekend. Um, that we did, and that was uh, I. Hope everybody enjoyed it. I, I think it went. Uh, I think it went pretty well. Um, so these are these are things that we like to to do around here. Um, so for for anybody who's thought of checking things out every once in a while, we uh, we like to do some some fun things aside from just the regular store hours. And um, the club is a lot of fun, so that's a great way to to get into it again, even if you're just listening. So uh, thanks to everybody who's been along for the ride for this past year and i hope everybody has a great new year new year new comics right, right. um and uh I, I suppose in the meantime who are you oh i've been anthony i'm david i'm katie i'm other david to be continued thanks for listening the Crimson Cowl Comic Club is recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles at 1749 Martin Avenue in West Bend, Wisconsin. For more information, 
visit us online at www.crimsoncowl.com.